0: This week on The Bioneers, Heather McGee of the public policy organization DEMOS.
1: We have to admit that we are in a moment of racial panic, but it is challenging us to shed the self-imposed colorblindness of our movements and engage forcefully in this question. Who is an American? What are we to one another?
0: On Bioneers Radio.
1: Support for the Bioneers Revolution from the Heart of Nature is provided in part
0: by Organic Valley Family of Farms and by the generous support of listeners like you. According to census estimates, by around 2044, the U.S. will become a majority-minority nation. Five states, including California and Texas, already have majority-minority populations. In 2018, More children of color than white children were being born in the U.S. This seismic demographic shift has also triggered a cultural earthquake, provoking a radical spike in hate crimes against the other, whoever that other may be. As Dreamer activist Jose Antonio Vargas puts it, this country is only going to get blacker, browner, more Asian, and gayer. Women will break all barriers. A country that has barely dealt with the black and white issue is now getting more complicated with all these othered people. What's left is this question of how much change can white people handle." In times like these of massive disruption and economic stress, what psychologist Carl Jung called the shadow side of the psyche comes into play. The pronounced psychological tendency is to project these shadow qualities with unusual potency onto whomever people see as the other. But is there also a deeper story? Perhaps the question to ask is, who benefits? In this half hour, we hear from Heather McGee of Demos. She sees a direct connection between today's extreme inequality and this peak moment of racial panic and white anxiety. It's not a coincidence. This is, Who is an American? Is our democracy as unequal as our economy? I'm Neil Harvey. I'll be your host. Welcome to The Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature.
1: Demos is the Greek word for the people of a nation, and it's the root word of democracy. Demos' mission is to work for an equal say and an equal chance for all. We address the intersection of political, social, and economic inequality Because we know that the inequality of voice in setting the rules drives the inequality in economic outcomes. And we know that inequality has always been built on a scaffolding of racial and gender hierarchy.
0: Heather McGee is a distinguished senior fellow at Demos, a public policy organization that works to reduce political and economic inequality. McGee and Demos have helped establish landmark consumer protections and contributed to policies that regulate financial institutions. They've successfully promoted pro-democracy reforms such as public financing of elections, and same-day and automatic voter registration, initiatives that became law in a dozen states and Washington, D.C. Heather McGee is encouraged by the advances that progressive movements have made toward achieving equality and equity. But she also believes it's high time that people in the U.S. address the root causes of the extreme inequality that distorts and divides the economy, society, and democracy. Heather McGee spoke at a Bioneers conference.
1: We have to face the fact that a political movement is in power and has been for the past 40 to 50 years throughout administrations of both parties that is stopping us from seeing one another as a demos, as one people, and stopping us from taking collective action to save our collective home, health, and well-being. We know that today, capitalism is writing the rules for democracy instead of the other way around. We know that these rules allow dozens of the most successful U.S. businesses to spend more on lobbying and CEO bonuses every year than they contribute to their country in taxes. We know that while the rules allow a small sliver of people to amass and keep unprecedented wealth, the rules haven't evolved with the changing times in ways that would have given more families a leg up like responding to the premium on higher education with more college grants, not fewer, or responding to the necessity of both parents working or the rise of single parents with guaranteed childcare or portable real pensions or a more generous unemployment insurance system in an era of easy layoffs and downsizing. How is it that the feedback loop just isn't working, that life it's getting harder for most Americans over the past couple of generations and our representatives haven't responded. Well, the answer is that what's happened in our democracy is that our democracy has become as unequal as our economy. Over the course of my lifetime, an entire new industry has appeared, that of corporate lobbyists, for which there are now 24 for every member of Congress. The legalized bribery that is big-money campaign contributions has increased by over 600% just since I turned 18 to over $2 trillion a year. Members of Congress now spend one out of every three minutes that they're in office talking to rich people, asking them for money. Combine that with the gerrymandering and a voting system that seemed hardwired. To discourage registration and voting, a system that in fact was set up that way during Reconstruction from the Civil War. And after progress with the Voting Rights Act is now getting worse. And you have a system that is democracy in name only.
0: Heather McGee says it's democracy in name only when people in the lower third of income distribution have little to no impact on the behavior of their elected officials, when policies favored by large majorities of the public are throttled by political elites beholden to big business. How, she asks, has it become socially acceptable for the wealthy to systematically write public policy and evade taxes, while demonizing economic fairness and public solutions to common problems as unfair redistribution to undeserving freeloaders? How? One way is to invoke the shadow side, stoke white anxiety against the other. It has a long and complicated history in the United States.
1: This, I believe, is where the increasing role of unconscious bias comes into our public culture in ways that are eroding opportunity and prosperity for all of us. Since the civil rights era, we have had a deep and growing anxiety in this country about who is an American. Now, why do I say since the Civil Rights era? It seems almost counterintuitive. Well, two things happened at once in the mid-1960s. The Civil Rights Act of 1964 finally decreed that the law could not segregate or discriminate based on color, upsetting the social order. And the Immigration Act of 1965 liberalized our immigration laws, do you know that until 1965, the United States had racial limits on who could legally immigrate into the country? There was a strict limit to the number of Asians and Africans, for example, and even a limit on Southern and Eastern Europeans. The Italians, Poles, and Greeks were considered too ethnic to become citizens. Northern European countries had no limit whatsoever. Think about that. Think about how that shaped immigration. And so when that finally changed in the mid 1960s, the next 50 years saw an amazing transformation in the physical appearance of who is an American. And all of that exponential demographic change really began after the Civil Rights Movement faded. So why does this new diversity matter? to a political movement that relies on Americans' feelings about public solutions to common problems, about economic fairness, public investment, taxes, jobs, and collective bargaining. Why does diversity matter? Why is it that no Democratic candidate for president has won the majority of the white vote since Lyndon Johnson signed the Civil Rights Act. Now, I could tell the story of what has shifted in our economic rules to create this current era of unprecedented inequality without talking about race. And many do. But when we acknowledge that government investment is essential to a, a strong middle class, to prosperity, to the possibility of shaping our economy in the public interest, we have to ask why, since the civil rights era, has the U.S. retreated from the public supports that made our levels of mobility and security the envy of the world? In a way, what's happened to our entire economy since the end of the civil rights era is what happened across the American South after integration when white towns drained their public swimming pools rather than integrate them, destroying a public good they once enjoyed. For three generations now, politicians have stoked white anxiety about who the public is, successfully linking government to undeserving minorities and gaining support among white voters for cutbacks in public spending and regulation, For withdrawal from public solutions and collective bargaining, my friends, we need a we to survive. And that is exactly what racism destroys.
0: Very much like today's global disruptions, in the late 19th century, an unprecedented wave of corporate globalization caused massive global migrations and racial mixing. Like today, mass social movements erupted worldwide to resist these robber barons. As author Pankaj Mishra wrote, quote, For fearful ruling classes, political order depended on forging an alliance between rich and powerful whites and those rendered superfluous by industrial capitalism. Exclusion or degradation of non-white peoples was a way of securing dignity for those marginalized by economic and technological shifts. Today, Mishra described, as revolts erupt against globalization, Politicians and pundits in the Anglosphere are again scrambling to rebuild political communities around what W.E.B. Du Bois in 1910 identified as the new religion of whiteness, the ownership of the earth forever and ever. The religion of whiteness, Mishra concluded, increasingly represents a suicide cult. This white supremacy ideology is radically out of step with the ground truth of American culture and the arc of today's diverse interdependent world. But as a social construct, racism has proven to be a reliably effective shadow side strategy to divide and conquer.
1: I'm sure you're all aware of the studies uh, out of Harvard University of implicit bias where you're asked to quickly associate words with faces, and those studies demonstrate that we are nearly universally less able to quickly associate darker faces with positive words, though white respondents find it more difficult than people of color. You know, I wanna pause there for a minute to ask why, why do we take for granted, as part of our history, why it is that American society adopted this belief in a hierarchy of human value, that people with white skin are better than others. Racism is not inevitable. In fact, the very idea of racial categories didn't take root until the 17th century. It's important to remember, because so much of this history has been suppressed, just how essential to the creation of the American economy slavery was, and slave labor on plantation land expropriated from Native Americans. That is our economy.
0: Historically, the invention of whiteness dates back to 1676 in the Virginia Colony, which was then a corporation of the British Crown. European indentured servants and African slaves joined forces to rise up against the ruling class. At that time, whites and blacks lived and worked together, intermarried and had children. There was more interracial contact then than there is now. Called Bacon's Rebellion, the insurgency was quite successful, causing the elites to begin experimenting with ways to divide and conquer. They tried religion, language, and place of origin before they stumbled upon race. They began passing anti-miscegenation laws, and they taught the newly minted whites that their role was to identify with the elites and to police non-whites. They created a new identity that hadn't existed before. Who benefited? Black lives were the original currency of America, says Heather McGee. By 1860, slave labor produced 80% of the gross national product.
1: At our founding, those in power chose to make American slavery different from other forms, not just indentured labor, but hereditary, inexorable. And they did it alongside these proclamations of equality and liberty that we now hold dear as our American creed, that it is self-evident that all men are created equal, that all men are entitled to liberty and the pursuit of happiness. It's a heart-stopping contradiction. The only way for men to write those words while owning other human beings was to create a belief system in which those people were not human beings. So for our first centuries African Americans were property. For the subsequent ones, and up until the late 1980s in fact, explicitly racist laws conspired to deny African Americans of property. We live on one of the most biologically and ecologically diverse lands on the planet. We have rainforests and deserts, this treasure that we sing about from sea to shining sea, and yet it is not ours. It has never been ours. We stole it, we killed for it, and we have not made amends. It's hard to admit all of that, to hold all of that while at the same time holding a vision of we the people and of a country and a population that is worth fighting for and creating solidarity amongst.
0: When we return, Heather McGee seeks to reconcile two very different visions of America. And she asks, how can we create one out of many? This is, who is an American? Is our democracy as unequal as our economy? I'm Neil Harvey. You're listening to The Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature. If you love Bioneers Radio, it's free and easy to support us. Just take a moment to post a review on our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you find our show online. You'll be helping other people find and enjoy these incredible thinkers and storytellers. And thank you for helping us out. Heather McGee believes the first step toward racial reconciliation is to step out of denial. It's not going to paint a pretty picture, but we can't get past it without going through it.
1: You know, we have this myth of American innocence. My friends, why is it not common knowledge to us that when Hitler and his regime looked for a model of a way to create a society where citizenship and humanity was cabined only to whites in every single legal, policy, economic piece of infrastructure, they looked only to us as the model. And yet, I'm an American. And yet, I, the descendants of enslaved peoples, am proud of my fellow people, how do we hold that? Because if we can't hold a vision of an America worth saving, we won't. And if we don't hold a vision of an America worth saving, if we don't both admit the truth of our racist, sexist, hyper-capitalist past and present, while also reconnecting on a human level with our neighbors and our families, then we will continue as a nation to fall prey to a political ploy that keeps a right wing in power and rapes our planet.
0: When candidate and then-President Donald Trump began stoking racial, religious, and ethnic hatreds and openly embraced white nationalism, his flagrant othering also provoked an overwhelming public resistance. Massive serial protests and movements have rocked the nation, from Black Lives Matter to the renewed movements for women's rights, citizenship for dreamers, immigrant rights, labor rights, and the denouncing of Islamophobia and anti-Semitism. But Heather McGee says that outside of liberal elite colleges, people often haven't learned about where stereotypes come from in our history, how othering has been used to perpetuate and justify an economic and political order. The nation, she says, is overdue for a truth and reconciliation process in every corner of the country. Who benefits? In this scenario, it's the full spectrum of the people.
1: We have to admit that we are in a moment of racial panic, but it is challenging us to shed the self-imposed colorblindness of our movements and engage forcefully in this question, who is an American? What are we to one another? We have to admit that this question is harder for us than it is for most other countries because we are the world's most radical experiment in democracy a nation of ancestral strangers met here with the audacious promise that out of many, we could become one. Everything depends on the answer to this question, who is an American and what are we to one another? Politics right now is offering two visions of why all of the peoples of the world have met here on this land. One, in which we are nothing more than competitors, and another, in which perhaps, just perhaps, the proximity of so much difference will finally force us to admit our common humanity. I don't know about you, but I need to find a way to love this country. And one of the things that helps me do that is because of the beauty of who we are becoming. The fact that by the time I am, goddess willing, nurturing my grandchildren, there will be no racial majority in this country. The fact that here today, there is someone in this country claiming citizenship who has a tie to every single community on the globe. That is the we, the people, that I can believe in. The other side is saying that demographic changes are the unmaking of America. We must proclaim that they're the fulfillment of it. We must declare that what they say is a threat is in fact our country's salvation. For when a nation founded on a belief in racial hierarchy truly rejects that belief, then, and only then, will we have made a new world. I believe that that is our destiny, if we have one. To make it manifest, we must challenge ourselves to live our lives in solidarity across color, origin, and class. We must change rules that disrupt the very notion that those who have more money are worth more in our democracy and our economy. In short, we must emerge from this crisis in our republic with a new birth of freedom, and make it our task to finally knit together a demos, one people, out of this nation of many. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Heather McGee, who is an American? Is our democracy as unequal as our economy? See and hear more from Heather McGee and explore award winning Bioneers radio programs, podcasts, blogs, and videos online at Bioneers.org. For information on attending the National Bioneers Conference and Bioneers events in your area, please visit Bioneers.org or call 1 877 Bioneer. The Bioneers Revolution from the Heart of Nature is a production of Bioneers and Collective Heritage Institute. Executive Producer, Kenny Ossipel. Written by Kenny Ossipel. Senior Producer and Station Relations, Stephanie Welch. Host and Consulting Producer, Neil Harvey. Producer, Theo Grossman. Program Engineer and Music Supervisor, Emily Harris. Our theme music is co-written by the Baca Forest people of Cameroon and Baca Beyond from the album East to West. All royalties from Baca compositions and performances go to the Baca Forest people through the charity Global Music Exchange. Find out more at globalmusicexchange.org. Additional music was made available by Mind's Eye and Dr. Wrinkle at freemusicarchive.org and by Blue Dot Sessions at www.sessions.blue. The opinions expressed on the Bioneers, Revolution from the Heart of Nature are those of the presenters and are not necessarily those of Bioneers and Collective Heritage Institute, the Underwriters, or this radio station. My name is Neil Harvey. Thank you for listening. This is program number 1317. This
1: program was made possible in part by Organic Valley's pasture-raised organic dairy products, bringing the good from our family farmers to your table at
0: organicvalley.coop and by the generous support of listeners like you.